Hi, and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Mr. Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. I just want to give a book away quickly to a man because I've got a heart for, for strong men in the house of God. And uh, it's called The Resolution for Men. And if you've seen the Courageous movie, it's, it's a book that came out of that. And, uh, you know, the, the resolution to be a great man. And some of the chapters are resolving to be a man of responsibility, to lead your family, to love your wife, to bless your children, to live with honour, to fight for justice, demonstrate love, provide for your family, reconcile with your past, live with integrity, be found faithful, to, and to leave a legacy. Anyone want to be a man who does that? Who really wants to be a man who does that? How much do you want to be a man who does that? How much? How much do you want to be a man who does that? How much? I'm not coming to you. How much do you want to be a man who resolves to be a man of God? Well done, mate. You see, God's full of promise and he's called you to be great. He's called you to live a life. He's called you to live a life um, of of blessing and favour. And he's done it all. He says it's finished. The question is, are you going to come and get it? How are you going to respond to what God has already said and already done? Sometimes we sit in our chair and we sit in our homes and we wait for the promise of God to knock on our door. God's saying, come and get it. Isn't it interesting that what the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen. It's an interesting statement that's made, isn't it? It, it, Many are called. He's called you. He said, I've got promises for you. I've got favor for you. I've got blessing to give you. And he says, but few are chosen. Why does it say that? He says, because what is your response to the call signifies whether you're going to be chosen or not. See, we are chosen based on our response to the call. Everybody is called, but few respond to the call, so few get to be chosen to do the work of God, to receive the blessing of God, to stand on the promises of God. See, to be chosen is simply to respond well to the call that's already been given to you. Well, stray a day tomorrow. Are you ready? Are you ready to celebrate? I want to give you a few tips on how to communicate on Australia Day. One of the first tips for Australia Day is you've got to take the, the end and the beginning of sent off words. You know, the key to the Australian language is simply laziness. So instead of saying Australia, we say Australia. We take letters off the end of sentences. Instead of saying what, we say what. Everyone say what. Have you ever had your, your um, child or someone say that to you? You're talking to one, they go, what? That's what we do. We don't say going, we say going. We don't say whatever, we say whatever. We don't say super, we say super. These are the things, and if you really want to get it going, you've got to get the Aussie nasal thing going. The key thing is you say, whatever. That sounds like an Aussie, doesn't it? That's super. What? This is who we are. We're Australians, and tomorrow, out of all days, we've got to speak like Australians. 
You've got to add O to everyone's name. Jacko, Dicko, Davo, Duano, Vico, Bobbo. You add an O to everyone's name. This is so simple. It's so simple to be Australian. And you know if you've named your son well because O automatically gets added to the end of their name. It's a good Australian name if O just flows, doesn't it? Dave-O, Ben-O, Steve-O, Joshua-O. Doesn't work, does it? Thankfully, it doesn't work. To, you know, when in the A changes to I. We don't say mate, we say might, don't we? We don't say today, we say today, don't we? Today, mate. These are the things we don't go to. We don't go to school, we go to school. We don't go for a swim in the pool, we go to swim in the pill. Why doesn't everyone join me? Today we're going to say, far out, today is hot. But we're all going to block our nose when we say it together, okay? So everyone block their nose, ready? One, two, three. Far out, today is hot. Do you feel like an Aussie? Come on. Ah, It's a worry, isn't it, when you travel overseas, you can hear an Australian from about a kilometre away. And it's very upsetting. So another thing, we've got an election coming up this week and uh, I just want to challenge you um, that the strength of any democratic nation is in, the, is in an engaged and informed electorate. We have a responsibility as a church to be engaged and to be informed. And I speak to many people, many people who don't know who, our, who the candidates are. They don't know um, what, the, what the, the parties stand for. They don't know uh, who to vote for. Look, you know, I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I'm here to tell you to be engaged and informed and make decisions that are engaged and informed, not, not a response to a negative ad, not a response to, to um, what, what someone has promised you. What we want to know is what, we, what these parties and people stand for. We want to know what their philosophy is you know what, what I, I'm a bit of a politics nerd, so I'd, I've downloaded all of the, the major parties' uh, constitutions and I've read them. And uh, Sorry, that, that, that's just kind of things I get a kick out of. But I want to know the, what the people stand for whom I'm serving, whom I'm voting for. You know, we, we serve the, the, the leadership of our nation, don't we? We serve them by, by paying taxes and, and giving them the permission to... to uh, to uh, do what they will with it. So I, I challenge you this week, before you vote, if you haven't voted already, get informed and get engaged. You know, we, as a church, we've got a, we've got a statement of belief you know, that you can have a look at on our website that, that it's important that if you're having a look at um, participating or becoming a part of something that you, that you understand the philosophy of the people that you're, that you're beginning to engage with. And I think it's the same in the political atmosphere of our nation, that we are engaged, that we are informed, because that is what gives our country the opportunity to become and to stay great. So I just thought I'd just um, you know, leave you with that. And uh, what I, before we get started to fish properly this morning, why don't we just pray and, uh, for our nation and, uh, and uh, that God would, would have our presence there. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that... Uh, You've said the government shall be upon your shoulders. 
So, Father, as you, we, you know, we know that we are your body. We are the body of Christ. So we take that responsibility close to our hearts, Lord, and we want to speak honour to the position of Premier. We want to speak honour to the position of Prime Minister. Lord, we want to speak honour to the position of our local areas. Lord, we want to speak to those titles. We want to remind the people who stand in those titles in Jesus' name that you are a man, that you are a woman of honour. So we speak to those titles, Lord. We speak honour, we speak authority to them in the name of Jesus. So we thank you, Father, for this great nation that we live in. Lord, and we lift it up right now. We lift it up and we say, we, say, we declare that the presence of God influence the decisions of the nation. And Lord, we commit ourselves to being a people who are engaged people who are informed, Lord. We don't, want to, we don't want to lie and wait and hope, Lord. We want to stand for the things of you and to be the moral pillars in our society. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. amen. Who brought their Bible with them today? Hands up if you brought your Bible. Well done. Very good. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Chapter 14, starting from verse 6. I want to talk to you a little bit about clarity this morning because uh, if, we, if we're not clear, you know, we, we, our, part of our vision this year is about having good hindsight, foresight and insight. And uh, we need clarity in our ability to see what's, what's going on in life. And you know, in the absence of clarity about what God's doing. And in the absence of clarity about who we are, we tend to kind of revert to a bit of a, a striving and a desperation of, of things that feed our soul, things that feed our provision and our love and our value. And God wants you to be a person of clarity. He wants you to understand who he is and he wants you to understand who you are so that you can, you can be confident and not desperately searching all the time. Sometimes we tend to, we cling to those things that give us value and destiny and provision. And God's saying, I'm the only one who can do that. He's saying, cling to me and I will give you clarity about who I am and, who, and about who you are. Let me read this statement to you. A great life is neither magical nor mysterious. It is the natural consequence of consistently taking faithful steps towards the desires of our hearts based on the promises of God and the wisdom of his principles. Great statement. And we see this example in the life of Caleb. Just to give you some perspective, the, um, Moses has led the Israelite nation of Israel out of Egypt They've gone through the promised land. They've gone through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're now into the promised land. They've been in the promised land for a, for a few years now. They've divided the east, and they're just dividing the west of, of Jordan right now into the to the land. Now Caleb, he was one of the 12 spies that went over into the promised land and came back with a good report, saying, "Hey, we can take these guys," but the other 10 said no. Now, right now. But we'll start from verse 6. Caleb and the tribe of Judah, his tribe, have gone to Joshua to talk to, the, to him about their inheritance. Let me read from verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, 
said to him this, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me, the other spies, made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's children and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, Caleb says, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. These were the giants that, they, that the other ten felt like they looked like grasshoppers. And, then, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his inheritance, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, God of Israel. Wow. What a mighty man. What a mighty man. Listen to, these, listen to these three things that came out about Caleb's faith. He says three things through that verse. In verse 10, he says, Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years. The second one, he says in verse 12, he says, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. And then in verse 12, the second half of verse 12, he says, um, you, heard the, you heard then that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. The Lord promised, the Lord promised, the Lord will help me. Here is a man... Here is a man, Caleb, who's learned to trust in the promises of God and then commit his life to act on those promises, to commit his life to take steps, to stake his whole future on the promise that God had given him. Forty-five years earlier, God made a promise to Caleb based on him being wholly committed to God, and here he is, 85 years old, still faithful to that promise, and he's saying, Lord, give me my mountain. Give me my mountain. See, the Lord has promised, you know, part of our vision this year, he, he's given, he's, we're, we're anchoring to these promises of God. And he's saying, I've given you these promises and now it's time for you to go and take your mountain. It's time for you to take steps towards your future based on the promises that I've given you. He knows what it is like to have the Lord help him. And he's trusting that the Lord will continue to do so. See, we've all seen God work. We've all experienced his help. And now it's about us trusting 
him to do it in the future of our lives as well. Who knows that God is always faithful. He's, he is, he, his word never returns to him void. We know that he, 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 when God speaks, it happens. He never changes. He says in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. So simple. So when we look forward, we need to understand that our confidence and our, co- and our hope comes from the promise that he has given us. See, you can't walk into a known future. No one can know the future. You cannot walk into something that you know is going to happen, but you can walk into the future on the basis of a known promise. You see, our foundation of looking forward is a promise. Not a no- we want to know, we, we love the prophetic because we feel like it speaks to a known future. The pro- let me tell you today that the prophetic is an invitation. The prophetic is an invitation to you, for you to step out, to be more and, and to know that God has, has more for you. But it's not a known future. We need to step out. You know, we need to, you know, God, God gave the Israelites the, the prophetic promise of the, of the promised land, but a whole generation missed out because of they didn't step towards, they didn't take a step of faith based on the promise of God. They waited in the wilderness and a whole generation died. You know, when someone's waving a book, a promise in front of you, are you going to go and get that promise? Or are you going to wait for it? God wants you to be someone who says, give me my mountain. Not because you want it, but because he promised it. So we talked about these four foundational promises that, were, that God gave um, Israel in Egypt before they were, before they were set free. And the, the, the four promises were they were set free from oppression. He was going to rescue them from slavery. He was going to redeem them with power and judgment. And he was going to claim them as his people. God promises Caleb that he would enter the promised land and he would inherit the hill country. And that he would defeat the enemy who currently had possession. Today I want to talk about one promise. Just briefly, just just one promise. And it says, I will redeem you with mighty acts and with judgment. He, said he, wants, he, he wants us to understand that he's redeemed us. You know, and, and this flow, when Christ died on the cross and set us free, he redeemed us. What did he redeem? He, he redeemed our, his original intention for us, his original purpose for us. Re means, always means to go back. Repent means to go back. Redeem, re- repent means to go back to the top, what you were thinking. What's the uh, high level of thinking? Redeem means to go back to your original purpose. He wants you to understand that you have an original purpose. So I want you to turn your Bibles today to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. just want to read this verse and unpack it a little. Genesis 1, say got it when you got it. Verse 28 says this, after he just created Adam and Eve, he says this, Then God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That was that woohoo was from Luke with six children. And uh, I heard a great story from Jackie about his neighbor. His, Luke's got some new neighbors, and one of the neighbors said to Jackie, uh, Jackie said, Oh, these guys are moving in, they've got six children. And the guy says, well, that's a bit excessive, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, that was just a, such an honest line. I wonder whether he tried to reel that one back in. After he said. Be fruitful and multiply. 
except for the brundles, that's far enough. <laughs> Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I want to talk about three parts of your purpose. I want to talk about being fruitful, I want to talk about multiplying, and I want to talk about having dominion. Three parts of your original purpose. God says to us, as soon as, he's, as soon as mankind is created, he says, be fruitful. I want to talk to you a little bit about some tensions that come in the purpose. Because we've got a heavenly purpose, but we live on earth, there's always a tension, isn't there? There's always a tension between, between the kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of earth. So the tension of being fruitful is the tension between being busy and being productive. One of the most common sayings that we see around the place today is when you say, oh, how's it going? Busy. Busy. Moit. Busy. As Ben would say, busy, dude. The tension between being busy and being productive. He wants us to be fruitful and Jesus repeats this in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. So we see it in the beginning with the Father and we see it in the beginning of new life with the Son. The Lord is saying, be fruitful. Jesus is saying, abide in me and you will be fruitful. He's saying, we need to be people who bear fruit. There's an amazing book that, that, um, that Luke actually gave me called The True Vine by Andrew Murray. If you want to read a book on, on, um, on those, verse, those words of Jesus, an amazing book. It's, it's a, basically a 30-day a devotion that takes, unpacks those scriptures. And uh, you can get it out in the bookshop. Excellent. And he, the, the guy says, he's Andrew Murray says a couple of things in this book. He says, the branch has but one reason for its existence, one purpose to which it is entirely given up to. And that is to bear the fruit the vine wishes to bring forth. We have one reason for our existence, and that is our, that our Heavenly Father may bear fruit through us. See, he wants, he wants to know that when He redeemed you, He redeemed your original purpose. And, we, you know, God, He's called us to be faithful. He's called us to be faithful to our original, his original intention. And, and, you know, we, and, and as we manage this tension between being busy and being productive, then we, we make a shift. We make a shift from being consumers to being producers. God doesn't want us to be consumers. He wants us to be producers. He doesn't want us to consume church. He doesn't want us to be consume our relationships. He doesn't want us just to consume stuff. He wants us to understand that we are producers. We need to look differently. People who bear, who bear fruit, trees who bear fruit, look at them differently than people who consume fruit. See, when you, when you consume fruit, the tree is lush. The tree, you know, the vine is lush when the, grape, when the grapes are there. So if you're a consumer, you're looking for a lush vine. When you're a producer, you look at the vine and you go, okay, producing is always about another season down the track. You're always thinking about another season and you're putting this season in the perspective of the season of production. So you know at the end of every season when the fruit has been done, fruit has been picked, the, the vine dresser cuts the, cuts the branches right back to the vine. 
because they know that new, new branches need to be created. Out of those little stumps come new branches and fresh fruit comes and they've tapped into the source of the vine for new fruit. He wants us to be people who produce fruit. What is the fruit? It's the tangible sustenance of God. See, what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your, of your gifts, what comes out of your life can be the tangible sustenance of God to someone else's life who doesn't know him. See, here's the thing. He wants us to be fruitful. We're fruitful when we're absolutely tapped into him. How do we do it? Vine dressers trim back the vine. What do we do? We discipline our lives. We discipline our lives. You know, the Proverbs 29 says, 29, 18 says, without vision, we live without restraint. Some, some versions say, without a vision, the people perish. Some versions say, without a, living, uh, without a vision, they live without restraint. See, what happens when we, have a, when we see a future, we restrain ourselves in the present to prepare ourselves to bear fruit in the future. See, God wants you to be someone who, who, who can speak life. You ask yourself the question, how do I want to speak in five years' time? What are the words that I want to come out of my mouth in five years' time? Don't worry about trying to recite them now. He's saying, begin the process of disciplining yourself so that in the next season, you can deliver words out of your heart, not out of your mind. You see, if I memorize things in my mind, I'm reciting them. If they live in my heart, I'm producing them. God wants us to be people who are producers. He wants us to be fruitful. Being fruitful is about, is about the automatic response of a grapevine is to produce grapes. They don't have to think about what kind of fruit they're going to produce, do they? They produce who they are. And he's saying, make a decision what kind of, what kind of fruit you want to be a part of and then tap into that vine. Jesus says, abide in me and you will be fruitful. We restrain our children because we envision a future for them. I will be restraining our child because I envision a future for her, a future and a hope. It's not a restraint that, that, is, that is negative. It's a restraint to protect the heart's desire that she will have to do and to be. It's, it's a lot easier to restrain your children than it is to restrain yourself. Hey, we restrain, we restrain ourselves from eating chocolate because we want to have healthy bodies. We restri- well, I'm, I'm one of those people who doesn't understand a square of chocolate. So it's me, it's all or nothing. I need complete restraint. And uh, so, you, you know, I was saying to someone last night, you know, we're going to paste on the, we're not going to have a pink room for our little baby. We're going to have, you know, the um, John Maxwell playing leadership um, in the room. We're going to have the financial review on the walls, biblical, you know, the three times the alarm's going to go off during the day. We're going to read the Bible. And because uh, we, want, we wanted to be fruitful. We wanted to be an economist and be the next prime minister in 50 years' time. Be fruitful. And the, the key thing to being fruitful is it's preparing you to be someone who multiplies. He wants, God wants you to be someone who multiplies. And the thing with multiplication, there's a different tension. The tension in, in, in being fruitful is between, is between productivity and busyness. The tension with, with multiplication is the tension between agreeing and covenant. 
You see, when we agree, it's about addition or subtraction, isn't it? One plus one. When we're in covenant, it's about multiplication. See, covenant bears long-term fruit. Addition bears short-term fruit, and it only bears one. See, God wants us to be a people of covenant, and he knows that there's a tension. You know, if, I, if we come into agreement on something, then we have a, a relationship as long as we agree on that thing. If I come together with you and we have a relation that is covenant-based, then we can disagree, but we're still in relationship, so we can continue to produce and produce and produce. God wants you to, he wants you to be people who multiply, and we multiply based on being a people who, who, who have covenant, not who just agree. When you come and join a church, you, know, you, don't, you, you, you need to make sure that, that we have a shared philosophy about Christ and, about what, and what we stand for, but we're going to disagree on tons of things. You know, and sometimes we come into church and we go, that was a great message, I agree with that, I agree with every word of it. Every single word of that message I agree, and then the next Sunday, not pastor's out of line, I don't know if I can stay here, I disagree with that. You know, your children say, I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. Why? Because they agree with your decision about where they can go out with their friends or whether they can, whether they can do whatever they want. You see, we don't want... God wants us to multiply and we multiply through covenant, not through agreement. Does he get what I'm saying? Do I need to keep that going? When we're married, you know, we're, we're building our houses together. I like these tiles. No, I like those tiles. I like this paint. I think we should buy that couch. No, I think we should buy this couch. Let's get a divorce. <laughs> this, is where these, this is where it starts. It starts on disagreement. And if we're in a relationship based on agreement, look, we love the same movies, you know, we love the same this, we're into the same, you know, we love walking, you know, we like doing all these things together. We agree on a lot of stuff when we're dating. But at the end of the day, make sure that you're stepping into a relationship based on a commitment bigger than what you agree on right now. Step into a covenant that is bigger than what you agree on. That's why we need some core things like Christ. Because Christ is the core, core of our covenant. Your covenant stands for something that is bigger than your opinion. And we need to, if we're going to multiply in this community, if we're going to be a, 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 a church that, that impacts the, the nations, we need to be a church that is committed beyond our opinion. It's a tough one, isn't it? But he wants us to be fruitful and he wants us to multiply. So we've got to get good at managing tensions. We've got to get good at manage the, managing the tension between agreement and between covenant. Being part of a community, being part of a covenant, we've got to remind ourselves is worth a lot more than it costs. See, it costs us spending time together and loving each other even though we don't agree on everything. It's tough spending time with people who disagree with you, isn't it? It's tough spending time with people who, who, you, who you disagree with on a lot of subjects. On, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, talking about politics, we have a different um, positions on what we think is the best way to run a country. I'm sure there's a huge amount of disagreement. That's why we don't talk about politics very often. But we need to get good at disagreeing and having a commitment that goes beyond it. And the last one, He's called us to have dominion. And here's the tension. 
The tension of dominion is the difference between leadership and control. There's a tension between leadership and control. You know the, you know, the old statement that says, um, power tends to lead to corruption. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, that's just a statement by a man. But, it, you know, when we, when, we, when we look for control, when we look for control in our lives, we tend to get out of hand. When we look to be leaders and influence on behalf of God, we can do well. You see, you don't need to be in a position to be a leader. You don't need to have a title to influence. But if you want control, you need that, don't you? So you go, sir, we, we, you know, one of the biggest challenges in, in life is when we feel out of control. You know, my life's out of control and God's going, that's okay. I'm in control. That's okay. It's okay if you're out of control. He's saying, just stand for what I've called you to stand for. Just respond to what I've called you to respond to. And I will choose you and I will place you and I will leak my goodness out of you wherever you are and you will be a leader, not a controller. You know, Australians out of any nation on the planet don't seem to like control. You know, it would be very difficult for someone, another nation to take over Australia, I think, because we don't really respond too well to authority. I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with it. That's why I'm in charge here. <laughs> You've either got to get good at this principle or take over. They're the only two options. I chose the second one. And, uh... See, there's a tension between leadership and control. When you look at your children, when you look at your relationships, when you look at, at your community, you know, we can control a situation. You know, we look at the balance of power in Parliament these days. We've got individuals, independents, who have control over decisions. And they don't, use, they, they don't influence, they control. They, they lean and say, OK, we'll vote for your thing as long as you give us X, Y and Z. That is a control. That's ma- manipulation. God does not respond to manipulation. He responds to faithfulness. God doesn't respond to us, to our control. He responds to us being faithful to the call that he's given us. We need to manage the tension because we love being, the flesh wants to be in control, but the spirit wants to serve. He's saying we need to be led by the spirit. He testifies, doesn't it? His spirit testifies to our spirit that we are the sons and the daughters of him. And when we understand that we are sons, we're like the centurion that says, I too am a man under authority. We need to understand that we're always an authority under an authority. Any authority that you've given, any gift that you've been given is under another authority and it carries responsibility with it. We love power but we don't like responsibility. What's God's greatest form of promotion? It's more responsibility. You look at the parable of the stewards. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's some more responsibility. He doesn't give them more gold. He gives them more responsibility. He says, I'm going to test you with gold, but I'm going to reward you with responsibility. Wow. Managing the tension between control and leadership. Why doesn't the band jump up? So the promise we're discussing is that we will be redeemed. We will go back to the original. 
God wants you to understand that he has a promise for you that's full of life, that is, that is full of fruit, that is full of multiplication, that is full of influence. He wants you to be a fruitful, multiplying influencer in your world. And as you embrace that promise, as you take steps of faith like Caleb, what did Caleb do? He took steps. He said, Lord, he said give me my mountain that the Lord promised me. We need to know what the Lord has promised us so that we can take steps of faith based on those promises. This is what our vision is for the year. It's a foundation of promise so that when we understand the promise, we look back well. We look at yesterday well. We look forward well. We understand that we're eternal and that we have generational influence and then we make great decisions today. We make insightful decisions today based on a season that we're hoping for in the future. Why don't you stand with me this morning? What is your response going to be to the promises of God? He's called you. He's called you with a deep call. He's called you with a gift. He's holding it out in front of you. He's holding it out and he's saying, will you come and get it? Will you take that mountain? What are you, oh, I feel like God's speaking to hearts today and he's challenging you to be create, courageous in your requests. But he's saying they're not selfish requests. They're requests based on what I promised you. Father, we just lift our hearts to you right now. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us so much. We thank you that as we discover in communion each week that you sent your son to set us free. Lord, from the law of sin and death, Father, we've been set free from oppression. Lord, where you've rescued us from slavery, Father, you've redeemed our purpose and you've claimed us as your people, Lord. We thank you, Father, for those promises, Lord. And today, our hearts, Lord, right now our hearts are running. Lord, our hearts are running towards the promises of you. I want you to picture yourself running towards the promises of God this morning, running towards better thoughts, running towards you know, freedom from, from the mindsets of slavery, running towards purpose of being fruitful, running towards, towards the identity of, 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 of relationship with Him and with each other. Lord, speak to the hearts of your people this morning with a love that goes beyond their understanding. Lord, to help them to understand the tensions of managing, Lord, the kingdom of heaven on earth. 